Welcome to Fans Labyrinth, the podcast where we talk about your favorite indie movies and genre flicks. I'm Des, and with me are my two co-hosts, Joseph and Lydia. Introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Joseph. Woo! I don't know why I went with a crazy baby voice. Great, great start. <laughs> Unnecessary. Hi, this is Lydia. <laughs> oh my God. We're already off to a we're already off to a great Not, start. Yeah. Not, yeah. <laughs> So I'm like, ugh. traumatizingly, uh, when I got, I, I, ju- I was just talking to the co-host about uh, getting back to my hometown for the holidays. And I found an old full, like little like box with old IDs and stuff, like old miscellaneous items. <laughs> Looked through some of those pictures and I'm like, <sighs> aging does happen. Aging is real. <laughs> yeah. It it's, hurts. Yeah. You it don't hurts. notice it as much yeah. in your everyday life. Yeah. But when you look back like five, ten years, you're like, oh, my mm. God. Because I don't do a lot yeah, of social media p- pictures, ID so I don't normally see pictures of myself very often. I stumbled into that as well recently. I was uh, cleaning up my basement, and um, I found a box that had all my like old IDs in it. And this is the week I turned 30, I should note. Mm. This week I turned 30. And I was looking at them, and I was like... Is your birthday this week? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like such an asshole. Happy birthday. What? What? <laughs> I'll take both the compliment and the and the criticism. I don't I don't celebrate my birthday. No, I feel like an asshole, not you. Oh, sorry. Um, I was gonna say I'd probably. Could you imagine? That. Fuck you! It's your birthday. <laughs> yeah, fucking guy. Yeah. So how dare you? <laughs> I was looking through my old be IDs, born. and I and I, I saw specifically my one from when I started university, uh, which is around the time I met uh, both of these lovely people. Mm-hmm. And man. I was God, vaguely human looking at a, <laughs> for a time. <laughs> God. I feel like you still, I don't, hairlines, you still look good. Hairlines move, uh, wrinkles happen. Yeah, unlike Lydia's journey. Uh, yeah, yes. Yours is pretty. Yeah. <laughs> no, Lydia. <laughs> no, I honestly, I'll, I'll, no, my honest truth is that, yeah, I, in my imagination of like meeting you two, like you two look exactly the same as like the day I met you. So you look the same uh, to us, your haircut, or yes. to me at least. Yeah, both of you look the same to me. Um, I was definitely hotter when I first met you guys. I de- like I a hundred percent looked way nicer. I look like shit right now. How would we rate know, our old selves? You know what's funny selves? is when I. This is these are dumb personal stories that are meaningless. So, but this for our own sakes, for our own real life talking. Yeah, yeah. I remember when around like a year or two into meeting you, I either looked through your social media or like you were showing me old pictures of yourself, and I actually thought you looked way better. Like. When I was meeting you, then in these like old po- photos, how you looked like two, three, four years before that, and so it's like I don't know. I think at that time I really thought. I mean, I guess what we were saying is that yeah, you looked better when you first. Yeah, met you. that's like, exactly I looked, what I was saying when I first I met you. you sa- I looked see, way better. To me, you looked the same as you did back then, and and I think at that time you were saying like, oh, I looked way better when I was younger, and you were showing me these photos, and I'm like, I don't really. Oh, that's you were probably like, true. I did. Not. You were skinnier, but like, who cares? That's true. I was. You look. You look less confident in those pictures. You look less yourself. How uh, how would we Aww. rate ourselves out of ten? Like it looking back. Eleven. 
Damn. Wow. Out of out of like a hundred? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Um, I had a. I think I'm my, like. I think I'm probably like a cool like Guelph seven, hmm. but I'm like a KW like five. Oh my God. <laughs> I uh, hmm. I don't have a rating here, but I do <laughs> have a little thing where it's like my uh, my one boyfriend ever. I asked him about like things, and I was like, because I was I told him I'm like I think you're a ten out of ten, and he's like you're like an eight. Like, oh my God. Wait, yeah. and wait I'm like, hold up, hold up. But that's you know what, it, still in, great. <laughs> I know that's I'm, in retrospect. I mean, it is, I'm but like, it's still like a dick thing to do. You yeah. say t- it's your partner. You say 10. Yeah. yeah. I actually like I did find it offensive at the time. But looking back, I'm like, I actually now that gives me like confidence now because I do feel like he was being real with me in the moment. And that makes me feel good looking back that my real score because in my mind. I'll be honest, he was a 10 out of 10 for me. But, like, I think most relationships, you're not necessarily believing your partner's a 10 out of 10. I'm married, so I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, no, but no, what no, I will no, say... no, I, This is no, no one has to reveal <laughs> In anything. fairness, Alex is, like, a 12 out of 10. Oh, oh. yeah, Alex, Alex, Alex uh, <laughs> fucking beats me out of every category, um, which is why I'm not going to say anything, because it's going to go right to their head. Oh. Uh, I would never say it to their face. You can tell them I said that. <laughs> uh, married for five years, together for 12, never say it to their face that they're a 10. I feel like every time I'm, I'm on this podcast with you guys, I'm like low-grade flirting with somebody. And right now it's your partner. Hey, that's cool. Oh, and they're uh, not even here. They'd be happy. I'm fine with it. I feel like when I met you guys, I was probably my my, my hottest. And I think, I think these days, I'm like, I, it's like dwindling. But also, my care for that number is also dwindling, which is awesome. It's a really powerful mm. feeling to be like, man, I'm like a six now, but my my give a fuck is at zero. So that's perfect. Whereas usually- yeah, My give a fuck is just as high usually as I, I <laughs> color my grays and bathe myself in Botox. I love my grays. I've got, I've got a bunch of ones in my beard now, but I think the give a fuck number should always be subtracted from how you, how your hotness number that you set for yourself. If I'm being honest. In that case, I'm like a Guelph four. To be fair, four and a Guelph is like a, you know, that's a 10 anywhere else. I don't think that's how that works. I, my numbers, I'm, listen, I'm bad at math. I'm still in school. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in, I'm also bad at math. Yeah. Joke's on so. you guys. I'm just taking grade 10 applied math again. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Oh, no, we did do the intro. I already immediately forgot that the intro happened. Yeah, we're changing things up today. We're changing things up. We're, we're going to talk a little, then we're going to watch a little, then we're going to talk a little. So I... sex dolls. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I was thinking about that. Like, know how, like, blow-up animals that you get at theme parks, how they've got, like, seams on them? There's no way the orifices on that thing doesn't have seams. Well, that's... See, okay, so here's the thing. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I feel like blow-up dolls are a novelty, they and have, they have to the be. silicone sex dolls, and those are for like the real, like they're committed. The real to sociopaths, a doll, yeah. You know, the real sociopaths. Like, I'm gonna put the majority of my bank account into fucking an inanimate object rather than like. I shouldn't kink shame. I shouldn't. I'm gonna say something and it's gonna come off kink shamey. Fuck your dolls. Is it a kink to objectify something so much that you buy it? <laughs> Maybe you know Capitalism what? Capitalism. It probably as a kink. is. That's probably a kink. Joseph, you are you are deathly quiet. How do you, Just, how do you feel about oh this? Oh my god, the, your facial expression—you hate this. <laughs> it was He's gonna cut lips. it all out. White knuckle. I hate it, but oh, no, I honestly, I, I honestly was just having a bit of an existential uh, moment. As you should. And I was like, Ugh. 
It's not feeling good. About sex dolls or no, just like what, in not about general? sex dolls. I just I stopped. I it was the normal ignoring the conversation because I was like <laughs> I don't want to talk about sex dolls thing. And then I was like, ooh, existential feelings. Ooh. Oh, about about These your about your rating. Not good spaces. No, I think just about returning to the homestead. Um, yeah, just well, exactly. What I was talking shaking about, up the like, routine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just all like, ooh, I have to reflect on things. Ooh, I don't know about that. Well, that's what we're here for. We're looking at media so that we don't have to reflect on things. Exactly. Or we could unpack our trauma. Somebody's going to be interested in yeah, that. I mean, therapy cast. But with the sex dolls thing, I, I, I actually like the movie uh, to tie in everything we're talking about. But it's like Lars and the Real Girl with Ryan Gosling is oh, a good yeah. about a guy with a sex doll. That's but a really good one. Really good movie. And I, I watched it as a I joke think, and then I loved it. Yeah. I think everybody watched that as a joke and then ended Basically, up loving I mean, it. And I think there's something to do, like, because there's other other stuff, too, like people who, about relationships. Like, a lot of people lack a relationship in their lives. Not talking about myself. <laughs> Definitely talking about myself. But then it's, like, the coping mechanisms to deal with that. It's, like, we're, we make fun of them so hard as a society that, like, people have body pillows or sex dolls or go to sex workers or whatever. And it's, like, yeah, but... I don't know. Like, if you don't have a relationship, is it so wrong to have coping mechanisms to deal with that kind of loneliness? So, I don't know. I, I, I fully agree with you. I feel you. like if you don't... I feel like the only issue I have is if you don't have, a, like, relationships in your life and you're not doing something to get a sexual outlet, that's your thing. But if you're not getting any kind of, like, emotional outlet right. for what a relationship actually is, then all you're doing is, like, objectifying your preferred sex... And that's we risk getting into like a dangerous territory for sure, that. for sure. And 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 that's yeah. I'm coming from both like you know a more gay perspective where that isn't so much a factor of what I'm thinking of. But and then secondly, this is just for me personally, right? But it's like I do feel like I'm good with friendships and having that type of relationship, even while not having a sexual relationship or like a romantic partnership with someone. But there's still obviously something missing uh, when you do that. And so even myself, I used to be much more judgmental about those things. And I'd be like, oh, like, like, I guess my thought was that you should deal with the problem really and not do these like fake coping, reading erotic books or watching tons of porn Mm. or getting a sex doll. Because those are just fake versions. Like, if that's what you want, then go and start a relationship. But the answer, like now that I'm older, I'm like, yeah, lots of people, it's pretty difficult to get into a good relationship. And there's lots of good reasons to not get into a relationship. Yeah, maybe we should cut the bit where we're super critical of people who are hurting. No, no, that wasn't my my intention. No, because because you're right, though, because like it it, it is like it is a bandaid, but also like like you we it's not as simple as just like just stop the thing that makes it not hurt. (laughs) You know, nothing's that simple. Yeah. And there's nothing inherently wrong with like going to a sex worker or sex toys or pornography or anything like that my point simply stems from at least in a place of heteronormativity in our society we sort of have trained straight men absolutely to only yeah. get their emotional fulfillment from their relationship partners and mm. not within their friendships so if all they're doing is going to sex workers or watching tons of porn then you're really getting a very skewed perspective on what like emotional vulnerability and emotional support looks like. And that can turn into toxicity. Absolutely. And I mean, that's an inherent systemic problem in our society where we're just like not teaching straight men that it's okay to like hug their male friends Mm. and it doesn't like automatically make them gay if they need physical affection from their friendships. 
but it's it's the same reason we get into the weird night guy, nice guy territory where it's like oh she hugged me yeah so like clearly she's gonna have sex with me i think um, it's like well now we're creating these weird unrealistic expectations that are super fucked up and toxic yeah the grand summation is always that repression breeds obsession every time mm-hmm. you you end up with compounding issues the more you lock people out of just like the stock humanity that we you know somewhat feel like we're guaranteed i i think i i think i probably said this before and i'll say it a hundred times but you gotta treat like guys out there fellas uh i'm giving relationship advice now (laughs) uh i don't care if you're gay if you're straight i don't care if you're questioning i don't care i just don't care treat your friends like aragorn treats the fellowship you gotta treat them tender you gotta hug them you gotta look them in the eye and you gotta say you did great i love you Let's kiss. No. Well, you don't have to kiss, but you should. This advice is especially helpful for gay and or not, bi yeah. and people. <laughs> it's especially helpful for anyone. I, lo- I love a good, I love a good tender masculinity. You hug gotta, your friends. You gotta hug you your know? friends. You gotta tell have them a, that you're that you love cuddle. them. Have a cuddle. You gotta tell them you love them. Yeah. God, that's all we got is our connections in the problem. end. You gotta tell people you love them. Root of many problems for straight men. Yeah, and even if you have to wear a fucking mask, hug your friends. I don't give a shit. I, I saw some advice. I think it was a TikTok actually that was saying like, if you're in a relationship, you should try to spend, um, do 10, 10 second touches each day for like a, the optimal amount of like, uh, mm. not serotonin. What's the one? Um, oxytocin ah. between the two, the bonding chemical. And I'm like, 10? My God, <laughs> who touches people this often? Like, it's just, it's so, but it's it's true. I mean, I, I, I bet that's, like the correct number it's just we're so uh except amongst our partners and maybe some family members like we're so anti-touch as a mm. society that's why that i, I like make no a, one's getting their oxytocin i make a really good effort I to feel hug like everyone that's different with with women mm. yeah i feel like with women like i mean like growing up and even now like we hug we cuddle but like i have friends that we just lie on a couch and cuddle and watch movies mm. and like that's just normal and that's normal amongst most women that I've met unless they're like just uncomfortable with touch for different reasons most female friendships I've had there's like a pretty decent amount of just like regular friendly physical contact I'm pretty weird about touch unless I'm initiating it and but with my with my friends uh and you guys will know this and at, at this point even some coworkers, like I'm a hug guy when I see you first time that day you're getting a hug and I hold it until you let go you decide how long the hug goes how much you need it because I, that's my rule always because whoever you're hugging especially if if they're the one who started the hug when they let go that's when they don't need the hug anymore that could be five seconds that could be 30 seconds uh i've had hugs that lasted a couple minutes and it's awesome it's 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 great especially when you trust the person feel safe when i left my last workplace that, that, that was how it went it was like I'll see you next week probably because I'll be back in the store, but here's a hug. And for each of them, I was like, didn't realize they needed hugs this bad because each of them was upwards of 10 seconds. Um, everyone needs a fucking hug. Hug people. Yeah. Um, and hold Let's on until they let go. kiss on the hand too. Sorry? In a non like creepy, you know, milady way. Let's bring back a kiss on the hand. See, wholesome. see I don't like it because it feels servile to me, but I'm happy to mm. hold hands with people. Love a good handhold. In Montreal, people do the uh, people do the European kiss, like as oh the cheek cheek. Yeah. See, I yeah. I would. Bring no, it's that not back. it's not like ubiquitous, but like people do it and and think nothing of it. 
there, I would bring that like, back. It's it's common. I I will say this, and this I is, do that with friends, mwah, not with mwah. like new people. Hug your yeah, friends. Yeah, and, and again, I think it's, it comes down to the cultural stuff we've been talking. We should talk about some form of media <laughs> at some point, or at least just something like less intense. No, let's yeah. talk about hugging. Okay, yeah, we'll talk about things. But that was good. Look, we'll all get our hugs in on Die Hard Night. Yeah, you guys are getting hugged. Unless you're not feeling comfortable. In which case, you won't get hugs. But hugs are there. Hugs are always available. We haven't watched the movie yet, but Des, it's your movie night. Did you have anything you want to talk to to us about? So I I chose for this week the movie Dark City. Um, It's a personal favorite. Sorry, I didn't mean a summary of the movie. I meant to get other stuff. Just just why I chose it, I guess. I chose it because it's a personal favorite. Uh, I watched it at a very formative time for me when it came to like storytelling and understanding like just like starting to like recognize the pieces of stories and also like I love the the style of it and like the yeah. the, the the tone of it uh, I thought it was a really cool if not perfectly executed movie and I wanted to resuscitate it because the holidays for me seem to be a really good time to go back to the old nostalgic catalog so that's what I chose but that and means, we also said no to, or like we couldn't do like your other three picks. Yeah, there were there were no, a couple others. No, this is the one. This was the curated exact one. <laughs> well, there were a few others, but they're ones that we've seen before, and uh, it's just a well, I haven't seen them, but yeah, I this this for me is a, is a feel good pick. It's a weird one. It's so fucking weird, uh, and I love coming back to it. I think it begs more discussion, especially. Yeah, I'm really excited to rewatch <clears throat> it. Yeah. I think we'll get I, more things. I, out of I watched it around the same time as like The Matrix, Requiem for a Dream. Like there's mm-hmm. this certain atmosphere of movie that all feels within this like campy noir so, almost area. Mm-hmm. So movies with like a weird blue filter. Yeah, Green, yeah, for Matrix, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they all have this like really cold filtering oh, on yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which a, is interesting. Got a bizarre thing. It's like Gattaca did it too. I think mm-hmm. Gattaca was very white of, to me in my memory. A lot of like white. It's a lot of white buildings, but the color grading, like when you look at their faces, everything feels like intentionally It's pretty grim. Old. It's all cool colors. I could rewatch Gattaca too. I haven't seen that since I was like 15, 16 or whatever. And Let's I don't do think it. I could. I think that's a movie that I couldn't appreciate at that time because it's a little more nuanced with its storyline from what back I remember. When, back when Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman were still the oh, main couple of Hollywood. I don't think this movie is that is is going to be nuanced to the point where we'll come out of it and have like new revelations. But I think I think we'll probably appreciate the clumsiness of it, given how many cool things it did at the time. Yeah, I unfortunately did not watch much lately. <laughs> <laughs> I I've been bogged down with school for so long uh, that all I did I played a little bit of video games, but uh, but nothing like that really begs mention. <laughs> so if anyone wants to take it away from me. Okay, this is gonna be Lydia's week to shine. Yeah, bust out I do the have list. some stuff, but yeah. So I could <laughs> right. throw in something. Okay, good. All right, it's not just gonna be a wall of me. That's preferable. It's a good wall. <laughs> I will. I will kick it off though. I watched Tick Tick Boom. Ooh, oh, you know I've been meaning to watch that one. Oh, yeah, me too. I just didn't. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah, I find I finally did. I was having the same thing as. As you guys, I think, where I was just like, I really do want to watch this, but I'm not in the mood to watch it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so finally, I just turned it on. But Tick, Tick, Boom is uh, the autobiographical musical written by Jonathan Larson, uh, the same man who wrote Rent. 
uh, the oh. musical Rent. So just uh, for those of you who don't know, fun Rent trivia, uh, Jonathan Larson actually died from a misdiagnosed condition while Rent was still in previews. So Rent is technically so an sad. unfinished musical. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, which is why a lot of people attribute it to... It's it's the reason a lot of people think that while it was a groundbreaking musical at the time and it truly was beloved, it doesn't necessarily stand up to the test of time. Mm. Uh, it gets a lot of negative criticism these days as being like corny or hokey or just like weird straight man savior complex because Jonathan Larson was a straight white man writing a story about predominantly people of color and, and LGBTQ people. But... It's an unfinished. It's an unfinished musical, right? So, there probably would have been a lot of things changed during previews that just never happened. I love Rent. I think it's a pretty beautiful musical. I think it's amazing, but this one is very well timed for the weird, self-aware and vague kind of depression, self-loathing that millennials are going through. Mm-hmm. Because this musical is about a man who desperately wants to do something worthwhile with his life before he turns 30. <laughs> um, Never thought of that feeling. What a good week. <laughs> <laughs> Never had that it's feeling. It's just like man oh. in like a creative field who just like doesn't even necessarily want to be crazy famous, just wants to be able to create something impactful before he turns 30. And it's on the eve of his 30th birthday. And he's been writing this musical, not the one that you're watching, Tick, Tick, Boom. But he has been working on his Magnus Opum musical called God Superbia, I think. That's a pretty... For eight years. Mm. So he's been trying to make it happen and get it on Broadway for eight years. So this entire musical, Tick, Tick, Boom, is about his like quarter-life crisis, about to turn 30, bohemian artist, life is semi-falling apart. He's kind of super self-absorbed, but also like clearly incredibly talented and truly loves all his friends and it's just a whole musical about this like weird I want to be on Broadway journey the musical itself he wrote as a one-man show and performed it as a one-man show prior to writing oh wow um, and and previewing rent damn after he died it was expanded for the stage to I think like a four to five man show and this movie further expands it it's a very large cast overall Andrew Garfield stars in it as Jonathan Larson and it's really beautiful. I mean, I'm, I, I'm genuinely really excited to see it. I I do think it can come off a little preening and a little mm. sort of unself-aware, mm. you know, because it's it's very much about this sort of like super self-centered. I need to be a star, and I'm clearly so talented. Sort of storyline. Yeah, it's strange because you can see how his mindset is fucking up a lot of his relationships. But then also a lot of his relationships feed into this sort of like I'm the star mentality that he has where they're like, you are exceptionally talented. You do deserve to make it. But Uh, like, my God, are you so removed from what is happening in the world? Like half of our friends are dying during the AIDS crisis. And you're like, I'm 30 and I'm not fucking John (laughs) Lennon. Yeah. Oh, damn. What a curse. yeah, I really feel like this movie is going to speak to me a lot. I really feel like this type of conflict in, in myself, like a lot of like grounded reality versus like personal dreams and stuff like that. It's really yeah. tough. I it's, love Andrew Garfield. It's really too. interesting. I love Andrew Garfield. It's really interesting. It's funny. It's, I think, timed very, very well 
coming off of something like Bo Burnham's Inside, which has a very similar sort of self-deprecating but like super self-involved feel. So it it really works for right now. But I do think like either if you're a super big fan of Rent and you're expecting this to be the story of how he came up with Rent, it's not that. It's the story of what inspired him to to write Rent eventually. So you see mm. a lot of the things going on in the world that sort of like influenced how he wrote Rent. Mm. But it's not about him writing Rent at all. It's it's like a good five years before he wrote Rent that he's doing this so there's that i think for people that are significantly older than us like if you're in your 50s you're gonna find this very self-absorbed and very preening and annoying and you're just not gonna love it Mm. but i think if you're in that 20 to 30s range where you don't know what you're doing with your life even though you're already kind of doing something and you feel like you might never make an impact It'll work well for you. Awesome. And I think Andrew Garfield's just phenomenal in it. That's so good to hear. I'm I'm like genuinely excited to go see it. Like that is Yeah. Like I already was, but like <laughs> even just hearing from you, yeah. I'm I like, didn't know the background yeah. and I and I I had seen the preview yeah. on Netflix. Background's interesting. And uh and I was like, yeah, this seems like it could go wrong, but also like this seems like something I want to at least dig into. It doesn't feel as much like a Netflix production as other things, mostly because Netflix like bought the rights to it, but it still has that mass markety feel. And that's a little Uh, weird with its message. I don't think that's anything like super big points against it. That's a good warning. But super funny, stupid fact that I found out about this movie. Andrew Garfield has a very beautiful singing voice in this movie. He does an excellent job in the musical, but I guess Lin-Manuel Miranda just happened to be a fan of Andrew Garfield and thought he would be good in the role. So we asked a mutual friend of theirs if Andrew Garfield could actually sing. It was this big time Hollywood or New York masseuse or whatever. <laughs> so we asked him if he could actually sing and, and their mutual friend was just like, voice of an angel. He's exceptional. <laughs> Beautiful. So I don't know how he didn't make it on Broadway. He should be on Broadway. He's amazing. I feel like every time I hear voice of an angel, I, I think it sarcastically. Like someone says it and they're like, yeah, like deadpan, like voice um, of an angel. But he, so Lin-Manuel Miranda is just like, sick. Awesome. Let's get this party rock, rocking. Immediately after he leaves, the masseuse calls Andrew Garfield and he's like, hey, dude, can you, uh. Can you sing? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Andrew Garfield's just like, what? He's like, um, so I kind of told Lynn Manuel Miranda that you have the voice of an angel, so I'm gonna need you to figure this shit out. <laughs> I uh, love, turns out he can just sing. I love that he lied for him. That's that's, that's friendly. I know, I think that's lovely. That masseuse <laughs> is getting a promotion. That's his uh oh that's God, his new agent. So funny. Damn. And it turns out Andrew Garfield just already could sing like really well i think he still did like voice lessons because singing in a musical is like very different than just singing musical theater singing is a totally different style but he can just he just can sing and he's very good <laughs> damn imagine attractive anyway, so that's my tick tick boom facts talented. oh my god i know mm. he's so good looking i hate it i only really and i didn't quite finish it i'm one episode from finishing but we gotta get some content on here so <laughs> but season two of the great I dove into. Oh, I still haven't watched it. I haven't been in the mood. And then oh, I forgot okay. about it and put on Vikings instead. I, I kind of thought you had watched because you were the one who recommended it to me. So I was like, oh, this would be a no. nice double. <laughs> I meant to. I meant to. 
Uh, and then uh, I forgot about it and watched Vikings instead. And here we are. A bed of lies. Um, I'm pretty sure we did talk about season one before, but I'll just like recap a bit and, and say, so it's like a, I want to say it's a modern retelling of like Catherine the Great story. Historical like, revisionism is yes, probably that's what right. I would consider yeah. it. Because it's, it is set in the historical period. Like it's fully set in that time. Everything is from that time, basically. But it's very open to interpretation, like almost even more so than like Bridgerton and like other stuff. Like it has this sense of like, no, nah, it's about the same. It's about the same level as Bridgerton where there's a lot It gives me Marie Antoinette of, vibes. I didn't see that Sophia one. Coppola's Marie Antoinette. Really? Yeah, I didn't see You'd probably like it. Yeah, I guess what I guess I guess what I'm pointing to is that the way they speak in this is very modern. They they speak in a very joking and colloquial manner, and so that takes me out of it. Whereas I think in Bridgerton they try to keep a sort of yeah they do. And so I, that that's why I'm saying like Marie world. Antoinette and um, Marie Antoinette and a Knight's Tale give me the yes, same a kind Knight's of vibes a good example. as yes as this as the as great, great. yeah. Um, but every actor in it is just phenomenal. The spirit of the show is so high. Uh, Nicholas Holt plays the Emperor Peter. Um, is, is his name Peter? No. The, uh, Peter yeah, the Great Peter. was... Oh, so it's... And his son... Peter the Great was the Emperor, right? And then... So his son is also named Peter, I guess? I think so. I think it's Peter. Yeah. And so then... Uh, uh, not Emma. Oh, my God. Elle Fanning. Yeah. Elle Fanning, who plays Catherine, is German, who's gi- given to... Um, given to but like set up arranged to have a marriage with thing and it turns out very very badly uh she does not like him and it's a huge fiasco and the first season is about this difficulty she's having and but she falls in love with russia and she hmm. really sees so much potential for russia to be changed and she's such an intellectual and loves reading and sees that there are people in the russian court at least who are interested in that in progress in changing things and so she uh concocts a plan for the first season. And what I love is by the second season, they really enter, I don't even, it's almost like a found family spirit. Like crazy war stuff is happening. And yet the core hearts of the cast, you can tell they all like love each other. Like they, they have a care for each other and each of the characters really care about each other. And I love that. I love that even though they're all, they're, they always have this line, this is Russia and people are just dying. People are just killed for no reason all the time <laughs> on the show. That is Russia. But in the main cast and every, and death is treated very nonchalantly, you know, it's like, I might have to kill you, but like, we're good friends for now. And it's just <laughs> like, oh, it's such a fun way to get that like drama, like the Game of Thronesy type drama between characters, but in a totally different light, in a totally different spirit of mm. feeling. I don't know, that joyousness, it really works for me. I'm not always addicted to the storylines, but whenever I watch an episode, I'm like, damn, like, I just really enjoy being with these people, being with the the vibe of the show. And so I don't want to spoil too much about season two. Uh, Gillian Anderson makes an appearance, and she is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Cool. God. I love her. Talk about a woman aging so amazingly. Yes. Yeah, no, she and she's is. a divine sexual being in it. Uh, they eternally. really love As having- As she should be. Yeah, powerful <laughs> sexual- adult woman in the uh, yeah. in the show which is really cool i love that that's her like career trajectory is they're just like we're just oh gonna God. worship you everything. now we're just gonna worship you forever. everything that she's in she's like this like oh it's awesome beloved or sexy femme fatale or something like that's what she was mm-hmm. in hannibal the fall spartacus like everything yep. everything she's in yeah she's awesome and yeah, she's so much Fox Mulder, not aging great <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> he was in the chair, though. That that coke bloat got him hard. It gets all of them. It's never been the same. Gets all of them. Never been the same. Post cocaine addiction. <laughs> Look at Marilyn Manson. He started melting. Oh my god! <laughs> he, he looks like he looks like person. a ghoul. He looks like a bloated corpse. <laughs> at least when he's got the makeup on, you're like, okay, this is like an aesthetic oh, choice. Oh, not anymore. He's like, he wants to look like this, and then when the makeup's not on, you're just like, oh yeah. E- you, even recent photos of him with the makeup on, you look so bad. Oh, still a ghoul. He's a terrible person, so I can make fun of his weight, but um, his I like that he paints his neck black so that it doesn't look like he has yeah. the the extra chin. Fuck but that guy. But it really <laughs> emphasizes the jowls oh, yeah. and like how much his cheeks are sagging down. <laughs> Whereas, you know, you know who is looking really good after looking really bad for a while? Uh-oh. Carrie Elways, who is um, like Dread Pirate oh. Roberts. And- oh, my God. Really? Hmm. Princess Bride. Yeah, he was he was not looking great for about like 15 years. He had like, you, you know, when older men get older and sometimes they have like super bloated heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. Like their face is just enormous uh-huh. for no reason. He had that happening for like a while. And then I watched a terrible Christmas movie with Brooke Shields that came out this year, um, <laughs> who is still really looking great, by the way. Brooke Shields, keeping it tight. Yeah. Hell yeah, And Brooke. he looked real good. Like, huh. Carrie's Carrie's aging gracefully. I don't know what happened in the in-between period, but he's brought it back around. He's looking he's looking pretty fine. Good for him. For like an older gentleman. Well, yeah. You know, he's still got the receding hairline and stuff, but when he lets it like flop down, very cute. That's just the nature of time. Mm-hmm. You're going to lose it. Have you uh, seen anything else this week, uh, Lydia? Yeah, I have so much crap. Oh, my God. <laughs> Where to begin? I want to talk about something that didn't suck. I've got a lot of stuff that sucked on mm. here um so i've really found watched, a lot of media um, that i really liked recently it's been very i have good, two actually. i've all it's been real hit or miss though i found some amazing things and i found some like really just awful awful hot trash oh my god speaking of hot trash this is a total tangent i'll get back to the good content in a second <laughs> but has anyone been watching this season of riverdale no oh no i haven't even oh my god you really should because it is i I heard about how that's supposed to begin, and I'm like, whoa, okay. I can't, you uh, you will not believe me. Like, it begins, they, they've they gone into an alternate universe now. They're not in Riverdale anymore. They're in Rivervale. What? Oh, my God. Good start. What? Great start. In the first episode, Carol and Betty sacrifice Archie. <laughs> yeah, that's what I heard. And, like, cut out, carve out his heart. What the to fuck? To get... So that the maple trees start producing maple again and so that Betty can have a baby because she was like infertile for reasons unexplained. This is like a this is like a Game of Thrones plot where someone becomes like omniscient or something. It's <laughs> nuts. It's that's, cr- that's episode one. That's Holy that's shit. the very beginning. That's episode one. The last episode had everyone selling their souls to the the actual literal devil. Yeah. Hollywood. So Reggie's gone to hell now. He's burning in hell actively and currently. Jughead sold his soul. Well, actually, he didn't sell his soul and made a deal with the devil so that he could publish a story with an interview with the devil. And But he'd never be able to write again. And he was unsatisfied with that. So he sold his soul so that he could start writing again. So now Jughead's soulless. The casino that Reggie and Veronica opened 
is now home to the devil. Of course. And she sells him one soul a night from the casino. The episode before that had Tony become La Yorna. So she's now like basically a, a folkloric demon. My God. This this show's gone. That steals gone children. Whack. That's awesome. It's off the fucking rails. It is unhinged. Keep going. And trash. Make it, oh. It's just like, it's hot <laughs> trash. But it really feels like, and, and what I've heard rumor wise was that the writers of this show wanted to do like forever ago. They had, they had been doing like some musical or something like an Archie musical and then the Archie estate or whatever <laughs> claimed copyright on them and got their musical shut down before it premiered. What do they have against and now musicals? these people, these same people are the right. Well, because they were infringing on the Archie copyright, they didn't actually get permission to do the musical uh, and they were making money off of it. So they got shut down. But now the writers of this supposed Archie musical are now the writers of Riverdale. And I have heard that the rumor is that they're still so pissed about losing the rights to their own musical that they're just trying to besmirch the Archie like name as much oh as possible by writing the show Hell into yeah. the fucking gutter. <laughs> like just the hottest of garbage that they can possibly conjure up to ruin the Archie name. Fucking, and that's, oh. that's why Riverdale is such a fucking disaster. It's just petty, petty bullshit. I love it. I want that to be true. I hope it's true. It sucks that the fans gonna get are gonna get stuck with the brunt of it, but also like that's fucking awesome. Oh my god, that's it's so a, cool. it's so petty. Yeah, yeah, I love it's it. It's so petty. The fact it down. That I just I love it yeah. so much. The fact that Thirteen Reasons Why and Riverdale and like these like like later season hot trash shows do so well, it's like why is it Netflix just like banking in these like low budget, Honestly. easy to make shows and just make because it's like you can literally make it the more hot trash, the better, basically. And it sells. So it's like well, the other thing, too, is Netflix. I don't even think Netflix pays for any of the production on Riverdale. It's a CW show. Right. That's they true. just license it to distribute it on their streaming model. So it's like it's even cheaper for them. It's like they're not paying any of these actors. <laughs> They're just licensing the content for their platform. Yeah, I guess there's a lot, especially for CW offshoot. shows. There's a lot of them that don't do so well, and so and we just forget about it. So maybe that's part of the reason they don't just shotgun approach like tons of these. Yeah, CW there. had that like Green Arrow show for a while. Yeah, that so, show but, lasted like eight seasons, dude. It did really well shit. and spawned like a yeah. bunch of offshoots. There's Sabrina, like the Flash though, was show a, was an original was a Netflix original though. That that's was so Netflix. bizarre. Yeah. I know, it's so weird. supposed to like cross over. Sabrina is going to be in the latest episode of Riverdale mm. when it comes out. The crossover the of the century. It's, it's, overt, it's overtly supernatural now. Like before it was like murder mystery grounded in like yeah. pseudo reality. It is it is overtly everything is ghosts. Okay. Which I also love. Into it's it. amazing. It's like the Nancy Drew show. The Nancy Drew show. Teenage Nancy Drew. I'm waiting for the it's end ghosts. game episode. It's all ghosts. <laughs> The end game I'm episode. waiting for I'm waiting for like the Avengers Endgame crossover event of the century <laughs> starring Riverdale. Oh, I love it. Bring in the guy from I don't Arrow. Know, they missed opportunity. They should have done that. Yeah, please. Get weird. Get, like just keep getting weirder. Yeah. And to the point yeah. of parody if you have to. I'm honestly not even mad that they killed off the title character because Archie is objectively the most boring and least likable <laughs> character on his own television show. It's insane how much I fucking hate Archie in that show. I always forget that Archie's a character and not just the name of it. Yeah. 
Archie's a vibe. He doesn't need to be in the show. He's a he's an energy vampire. He's the he's the he's the setting. Um, or he's the setting. Anyway, so that's hot trash with Lydia. <laughs> don't watch it. Maybe do. I don't know. It's terrible. It's fucking great. But for good content that I actually did watch, I'm not finished it yet. But I have been watching Dope Sick on Disney Plus. It is about the opioid crisis in the United States. It started in like the late 80s, 90s, when OxyContin hit the market. Mm. Oddly, this is borderline the same premise as season four of Goliath, which is also Mm. fantastic. Highly recommend Goliath if you like a good law procedural show. Or Billy Bob Thornton. Mm. Great show. But Dope Sick is a little bit more grounded in reality than season four of, of Goliath. And it, it's it's interesting the way that they've done it um, because you've got multiple narrators in this show, multiple perspectives, and you're jumping through different time periods. So it's like very non-linear. Mm. So there are times where you're like in the 70s and early 80s when they're ma- like first developing OxyContin. And then you go to like the Department of Justice the first time they tried to intervene. Uh, with the opioid crisis and the amount of addictions on this drug that was supposed to be Mm non-addictive. And then you jump forward again to a more recent, like, local criminal case where they're trying to file charges against the manufacturer, Purdue, of OxyContin. Mm. It's really interesting. The cast is unbelievably stacked. Like, you've got Rosario Dawson in there. Um, Michael Keaton is in the show. Nice. As an amazing... So sad of a character. Like, just, I am in love with Michael Keaton in this show. He People so forget good. that he can he's, act. Like, that dude can so kill it. Uh, we just, we oh just. Oh, my God, he's amazing. Somewhere in the 90s, we just, or the 2000s, we just let him have shit roles. But he, that dude can act. He's really, really good. He plays this, like, small town doctor in, like, a small Appalachian uh, mining town. Mm-hmm. And the way they rolled out OxyContin initially was, like, very intentional. They started in these smaller, rural, like, physical labor-oriented towns. So a lot of towns that had to do with, like, mining, logging, agriculture, like, just a lot of, like, physical labor, blue-collar jobs. Hmm. Because that's where the most injuries were. And OxyContin was specifically manufactured, like, their marketing campaign around it was that it was a non-addictive opioid that could be prescribed for low to moderate pain. Mm. Because traditionally opioids were only prescribed for severe pain because they're addictive, they're hard on the bodies, they're hard on the livers, etc. Mm. This was manufactured to be like, oh, it's it's not bad for you. It's not addictive. It's a nice one. So it's fine. Right. You can give you can give it to people for headaches <laughs> and like minor injuries. So that's why they went into these like mining towns, logging towns, because you have a lot mm. more like Broken arms, dislocated shoulders, like long-term back pain, trying to get an opioid prescribed where they would traditionally prescribe something like a naproxen I'm, as a muscle I have relaxer, this, you know what I mean? I have this image in my head that this is like the, it's like the Chernobyl of this epidemic. It like, I'm getting the, is that the kind of tone that they're going for where it's like really playing into like the horror and the darkness of it all? Yeah, I mean, it is definitely very dark. Um, it's very melancholic. And sad. Hmm. It's also very much like there are aspects of it that feel very much like a procedural where you're going through like the investigative process with the Department of Justice. And then there are aspects of it that feel more like a personal drama where you're seeing like the individual affected by this addiction. Nice. Okay. 
and then areas that are sort of like thrillery where they're you can see how they're developing manufacturing and marketing this drug with like a decent amount of intentional knowledge that it doesn't do what they're saying it's going to do and Mm -hmm. how they're manipulating the environment. So it almost feels like a political thriller in certain sections. And then in other areas, it it very much feels like a drama or like a legal procedural. So you get a lot of tonal shift, which works really well for me. Yeah. I was going to say this sounds fresh. Yeah. Because it's such heavy content. I I want to watch this. Yeah. Yeah, Sounds good. Yeah. Very like emotionally laborious to watch. It's nice that you get these like pretty intense tonal shifts because it, it makes it less painful while still really emotionally engaging. Mm-hmm. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Stay, it probably stiffens the burnout a little bit. It really does. Mm-hmm. It's It makes it something that, like, I watched four episodes in a row, and it was very sad and intense and, like, emotionally captivating, but I didn't feel emotionally exhausted or, like, just really worn out from watching it. Like, I was good. I could totally move on to something else, and I wasn't, like, done. It's an interesting balance. Yeah, it, it works really well. Um, Michael Keaton is unbelievably good in it. I mean, he steals the entire show. Mm-hmm. He's incredible in this. You really genuinely feel like this is a person who cares about you and your medical needs. And just watching the slip, it's, oh, yeah. he's phenomenal. Damn. If you have Disney+, Plus, you can find it on there. I'm sure you can find it other places as well. It's just that's where I watched it. Very cool. Nice. If you're in the United States, I believe it is on Hulu. Hulu. Yeah, I just want to talk about one more thing, but it's like, uh, I don't know when the good time, maybe I'll just do, we'll just do small updates, but whenever, because it's just been like such a big thing in my friend group's thing is watching The Wheel of Time. I have had so (laughs) many conversations, so much stuff about it. I literally don't know what to say, except that I'm just so invested. I'm so, I've been waiting for the show for like over a year. I knew about it. I knew it was coming out. I don't even love the books that much. I only got to book two. Um, (laughs) I like them, but I was like, it's it's a long, long fantasy series. And then I heard the show was coming out. So I'm like, this feels like something I could get a lot of fun if they make the show even half as good as Game of Thrones. And um, yeah, it's just, it's so fun. It's so charming. I have a ton of problems with it, but it's like, regardless of the problems, it is just, it's so easy to invest in. Like, it's just the scope, the scale, the characters, it's just fun and engaging. And I'm just like, they succeeded where I wanted them to succeed, mm-hmm. which is making a show that makes me get that Game of Thrones feeling of wanting to watch each episode each week. It's not as big. It's not as powerful. It's not as like deep, but it is engaging. And so I'm just so happy they managed that. I do think if the show, because from my understanding, the books don't totally center around Moraine um, and Lan Mandragoran. Mandragoran. And I think it was a really good call on their part to make, them more of a central focus of the story even though you have all of these other characters i don't think i would be half as interested <laughs> if each episode didn't have at least a good portion with moraine because she's just like her and the other Aes Sedai are like genuinely more engaging characters i love the politics between all of them that's starting to like get unveiled and i just think they're generally more engaging characters i i really don't care as much about like rand and Egwene and nynaeve is pretty cool i like nynaeve yeah i think the the younger actors i do think given more time they will like develop into their roles more 
I'll just say my thing about it. It's like the first book for me, this was my impression. And, and I know I've been told by everyone who's read the books or even like half the books that the books get extremely political and high epic fantasy, like full Game of Thronesian craziness in the middle section. But in the beginning, and this is a big difference, it's very the Hobbit e adventure story. Or actually, he said he based the first book off of the the, um, the Fellowship of the Ring. It's a story of getting the cast together and then having them travel across the land. And that's how it feels. It feels very much like fish out of watery kind of um, like all these country folk learning that there's a wider world out there and how to deal with it. The show kind of skips that feeling. And by doing so, uh, you're kind of left in a weird lurch with all the main characters because they're not interesting from the, oh, we're farming people coming out of the thing. And there's not, they're not engaging from that front, but they're also not powerful enough on the scales of stuff you're dealing with in the show to be interesting players on the like top scale yet. So there are moments I really liked. I really loved when uh, Matt and uh, Rand ended up in this one inn and the storyline that happened there. That was really cool. I thought like it was a cool little miniature story uh, yeah. done. But for the most part, they do feel like they're just being like pulled along in in the actual story, mm-hmm. which is being done by other characters. I, I don't want to speak too much because I, I've read the, the series. Mm. I think I'm going to wait a few seasons and see how they keep the pace because in no uncertain terms this is a way longer series than game of thrones and it's finished so there's like a reference that they probably feel some need to stick close to whereas like it's clear that game of thrones went off the rails like basically from season two onwards um i think they're gonna do twice pace i think they're gonna do try to finish in seven seasons so two books a season which is gonna be really um yeah, I might I might wait a few seasons before jumping in, but I think I'm definitely gonna jump in. I think I think regardless of whether or not it's you know like true to the books, I I still think it's gonna be a, a fun watch. I just I'm just not ready for it's so fun. That. Like I cannot deny that. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. And and everyone I know, th- there's so many different ways to engage. That's what I'm finding is that like I like certain aspects of it, but other friends of mine like they really like the magic or they really like how this character is fun to like watch or whatever. Like there's so many things happening. Um, and it had, and that's, I think one of the strengths of game of Thrones too. different people had different characters and storylines that were much more invested in. Mm-hmm. And that ability to have many storylines helps to keep you interested. I do hope the like tinkerers come back in because they feel like they're going to come back in, but we've like left the them the right now. And I want, I liked them. Yeah, probably just because they're like literally based on Irish travelers, but I did yeah. like them. I found them very charming. Yeah, there is just some set design and costume design stuff. I do wish they, I agree. they're very easy to fix, like stuff where it's just like, why aren't any clothes dirty ever? Like <laughs> you're literally traveling through the country. Yes. Also, why does Rand's like weird, what I assume is meant to look like sheepskin that's like yeah. sewn together, literally look like a jacket that I could buy from like yeah, fucking Sheen today. It's I don't ludicrous. At first, that was my biggest complaint. I'd always say like everything looks too modern. Now I'm like, there is a sense in which it's important to feel connected to the costuming or whatever in some way and to feel iconic in some way. I think the only set that really felt like iconic y to me was that original. It's not two rivers is the general area where they're from. What's their actual town called? Shoot. I don't know. Edmonds field, Edmonds field. But, but yeah, their little town, their little village, 
that had a cool look to it. And yes, the 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 sh- I mean, the best one for sure for me for set design was uh, Shadar Logoth was just incredible, especially coming from just a random countryside and just entering this crazy dark space in this spooky city. So cool. But it's it's still like there's something about it that still feels a little bit generic to me. I don't know what Game of Thrones did to not feel generic, but like they have a very Game of Thronesy feel to to very disparate settings. See- if I'm being honest, I think... Game of Thrones... Sorry, you go first. Okay, I was going to say, Game of Thrones, a lot of the sets that they used were, like, just actual places and actual ancient buildings that are, like, well-maintained. Whereas this, you can tell that there are times that they're on a soundstage. Like, yeah. in the White Tower, when they're, when Nynaeve is in the White Tower, you yeah. see her standing in her room and the light is pouring in behind her... That's a painted set. Like, it was too stagnant in behind. It was too flat. The light didn't have any movement to it. There was no flexibility to the surroundings. It was a painting. Like, you cannot convince me that that was not a painted set behind her. Hmm. That was not a building. And that I keep catching. When they're inside places, there are certain structures that they're standing on or standing inside where I'm like, I know you're on a soundstage right now. I know this is a built set. And then they go outside and it's the real world. And you're like, okay, you're clearly in a completely different location. Yeah. I think, I think that's a large reason why game of Thrones succeeded is, is like, it doesn't sell the fantasy until later on, not until like season, like mid season three is when they start to sell the fantasy. That is a problem in, in this one. And like, cause it is harder to sell high fantasy and it can feel more, but it's like, look, that's one thing. And, I, and we can bracket that. And that, that could be a thing. However, there's easy things to say. In, there's a big battle scene in like episode three, I think it is. They just, and it's the same, my same problem with Witcher in this feeling is that they they do the thing where they stagger the actors and whatever. So it's like, it's like 15 people in a forest they're fighting and whatnot. And it's like, when you do that kind of thing, when you're trying to like spread everyone out, explosions, smoke everywhere. If you remember any of the good fight scenes in Game of Thrones, like the scale is just phenomenal like it's true armies fighting each other and that is really cool they haven't captured that magic yet in real time and that is indicative of many other things a lot of shots and sets they very much tighten the camera so that you're only seeing like one quarter of a room or whatever you never get these grand scale looking things because they're sets they're sound stages and that's the thing and so i i just wish the scope could just push out just a little more that i understand is harder yeah. i think the easiest one to fix is some of this basic costume design stuff like put some mud on things like my god these people <laughs> are traveling for days on horseback like what are you doing yeah. they never look exhausted either like they never yeah. they're supposed to look they tired always look hot there's off no the wardrobe like it's yeah. ridiculous yeah hot off it's wardrobe like, and makeup you- like give them some dark circles, make them stay up until like 1am or something a couple of nights just so they actually look like fatigued. The only one that I think was like really selling the like small village poverty meets like physical and emotional exhaustion is the Matt character. And he's supposed to look insane, not just like mentally done. And I'm like, they should all look like this because they should all be like fucking mentally over this journey. Like, we should all be getting big Samwise Gamgee, I'm fucking fed up with your shit look. Yeah. Like, and that's just not happening. But I do think the Aes Sedai costumes are really cool. Like, mm-hmm. they have sort of a modern-ish aesthetic while still feeling very fantasy. 
Whereas that sheepskin jacket just literally <laughs> looks like something Macklemore would have worn in one of his music videos yeah. when he was popular five years ago. I, I will say I haven't seen it, but going back to watch Game of Thrones, you might find that some of the first season does have that same hokey feel. There's actually That's a number true. of sets that are yeah. like... Yeah. The scene where Ned Stark, this isn't a spoiler uh, because Game of Thrones is finished and it's well over a decade old. Like a decade old. <laughs> um, but yeah. the scene where Ned Stark gets stabbed in the leg uh, while he's fighting Jamie Lannister in the capital is so obviously a set. Like, I, and, that's in the, and that's in the first season. That's like not even halfway through. There's a few of those moments where it's like, this is really, really clean and tight for uh like a like a street mm. causeway um i'm imagining the show will probably i'm 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 hoping it it gets its uh it, it finds its stride because to be fair it is a pretty difficult setting to like ground and make feel legitimate especially when there's when you introduce magic yeah. really early i we're look we're complaining about this as if it's like that's the As thing. It's, game it's ending, only because yeah. we have Game of Thrones to compare to. You could literally compare to any other thing with any fantasy element ever that's been made, <laughs> and it is better. Like yeah. it's so it's like it's just because yes. Game of Thrones exists. That's the only reason we you know it's hard to com to compete. But what I was going to say is I don't find that like these sort of semi distracting costume or set design moments in Wheel of Time. I don't find that they pull me out of it. The no. same way that those same kind of distracting moments will pull me out of Witcher. Oh, yeah. Because, like, the sets in Witcher are so fucking cheap looking for a show that yeah. costs Netflix so much money that it... Well, it, and then the CGI is... Oh, God. Ugh. It really, truly looks like something that should have been created by, like, it's an like, independent It's like film. BBC Season two of Witcher is actually coming out uh, this month. Yeah. That'll be interesting. Or or Yeah, Witcher like, One gives... feels like BBC fantasy. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, it feels like BBC you know, did a like low it's... budget <laughs> fantasy. It has the same like hokey sort and, and it is charming, but it has the same kind of hokey charming thing that like Doctor Who has, mm. but it doesn't have the same kind of like edge to it or or built in fan base or you know, long time love. I actually So think... it's just kind of fucking yeah. irritating. I think The Witcher is probably around the same level overall as as Wheel of Time. But I think one of the things is that Wheel of Time actually, it can encapsulate some of those hokey moments better. The world and things, it's fun to see like the Azures just whip crazy shit at people. Like it's it's magical in a way. Whereas in The Witcher, it's really trying to be a dark, dark world. And so every bit of hokiness runs against it. It's actually hard to like yeah. do it, it both. It's very had cheesy. Yeah, so I, I have a friend who's just saying it's like I, once I switch my mindset to thinking like The Witcher is like Conan the Barbarian from like the eighties, yeah, then I can enjoy it. But if I think yeah. of it as Witcher from the games, where it's a gritty, dark world, things, and of course in the show they actually do play up the cheese with with um Dandy is is his name Dandelion in the show? I forget what his name yeah. is in the show. I don't I don't remember if they landed on Dandelion or Dandelion, but it's one of the two. And then, uh, and 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 even Geralt's like lines, he'll have like these really weird, corny lines that he'll throw out there sometimes. But I, 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 I'm I'm excited for season two. The only reason I'm slightly not excited for season two is I saw a trailer where a lot of it has to do with Siri, and I think Siri is like the worst actor in that uh, actor in that show. So that's unfortunate. That's saying a lot. Because um, <laughs> I don't think anyone but, really but sells I it. Also just, like, she didn't get that much to do in the first season, so there's yeah. there's lots of opportunity yeah. to grow. I also just feel like like. 
Witcher, in a lot of ways, feels like the kind of show where Netflix blew 90% of their massive budget on Henry Cavill's paycheck. Yeah. And, like, so everything else had to be cheaper. Like, they had to do it all on, like, shitty sound stages, and the CGI had to be kind of crappy. Whereas Amazon has pumped so much money into Wheel of Time. And, like, yes, they have Rosamund Pike, who is a pretty big-name actor, but, like, it, it feels pretty evenly spent, their budget. Like, they're trying to do as much as they can with the money that they have. Yeah. Witcher just really feels like it's there's just no budget behind it, effects, aside from securing Henry Cavill. The effects especially do not sell The Witcher. So um, bad. I, I have... So bad. I have a... I have and a, there's <laughs> so much magic in it. Oh, there's too much. I, I have a unique... And magic isn't real. Yeah, oh, it's not real. Uh, I have a, I have a unique perspective on dumbest this, line in the whole show. Unfortunately, because I I have read all the books, but I haven't played all the games, so I can say with certainty that the sh- that the Witcher's show follows the books and does not follow the games. <laughs> I've heard that, which is probably why the tone is so different. Uh, that like the books are. Mm. Wait, uh, actually, uh, the 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 comparison of Conan the Barbarian is actually really astute because <clears throat> when you read it, it's like grognard ass eastern european fantasy like there's no explanations of shit you just fall into the world and they're like this is things and the show does the same thing and like you guys mentioned i think that's what actually what takes a lot of the piss out of it is um the settings don't feel real because you're not often not staying in any of them long enough to feel like they're actual settings right it's just like oh this is alleyway where Geralt stabs a man in the face this is castle where a witch lady drains witch person like it's it's um, it's so scattershot. I, I, season two, if it's at all more focused. What's well, the plot too? The plot of the oh. Witcher, I find at the show is, is is for me very hard to follow. I think yeah. it's because it's partly that's taking from a bunch of short stories. It's smashing yeah. things together from different eras and stuff like that. And I've played the games, so I'm thinking these characters who are from the games should follow similar storylines to the games, but that, they're not going to. That's where it gets. And so weird. all of those things really confuse my viewing. That's where it gets super weird too, because like. You're right. Like, Whereas Wheel of Time is very coherent, I think. Yeah, and Wheel, Wheel of Time has the benefit of having one contiguous plot, whereas The Witcher yeah. show, and this is like, I'm, I don't want to linger too long on it, but The Witcher show is, it's borrowing a lot from the two short story compilations that preceded the book series, yeah. but also, at the same time, interweaving moments from the book series into the short stories. So... Um, and I said this, I said this uh, candidly to my partner while we watched it. But like the best, the only two episodes of The Witcher that I think are actually good are the ones that follow the short story to a T and do not touch the I, series plot. I, I, I know one of them at least, and I really lo- enjoyed that one. Yeah, yeah. and 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 I, I hate saying that because like the show want it's trying, but the only times I think it succeeds is when it sticks as close as it can to the short stories. And those two, those two episodes are standouts. And I bet a lot of people who watch the show will feel the same way. Um, I think one of my things is the thing is I'm not excited for what happens next by the end of season one of season of Witcher. I mm -hmm. just, I found we didn't engage with enough of a, an overall arc to make me curious as what happens. Oh, there was no arc. Wheel of time has two very powerful reasons why I'm excited for what happens next in that having read a bit of the books, I know, and I and hearing from other people, I know some of the next big things. And I'm, so I'm excited to meet these characters now because I'm like, we're going to get, they're going to get to do so much still. There's so much to go uh, and so much development 
for each of these kids. So that in combination with the generally fun nature of the beginning, it just feels like it's something that can take me on a journey for years. And so that is, that's thrilling. We should probably start getting around to the the fun we done. Um, yeah, we've, we've been recording for an hour and a half. <laughs> yep. Uh, well, if it helps, there's a lot of material. Some of it good, some of it bad. Yeah, we should watch, we should wa- go watch a thing and come back and talk about it. <laughs> okay, second time's a charm. And we're back. We just finished watching uh, Dark City uh, and talking through a lot of it. How did we feel? <laughs> uh, I could, I'll do a summary-ish thing to, to start, I guess. Yeah. Do you know, did anyone write down who directed it? Uh, Alex Poyos. <laughs> From the director of The Crow and, yes. and uh, <laughs> Gods of Egypt. <laughs> and the yeah, terrible, I... like, 2009, very Scientology-esque Nick yeah. Cage movie, Knowing. <laughs> yeah. Weird. So Dark City is kind of a noir Burton-esque world. You're in a sort of, you know, dark city, like a city that seems to be always nighttime. You're following a detective and a murder story to begin with, but also an amnesia-oriented main character named John Murdoch, played by Rufus Sewell. What did I write down here? Sewell? Is this, Sewell? this is like my moment of vindication. <laughs> the amount of times during movies I tell Joseph the name of an actor and he just like passes the knowledge off like I he wrote had it. Down. it. I don't know how to pronounce what I wrote down. <laughs> Rufus Sewell? Rufus Sewell. Okay, Sewell. I was close enough. There's no there's no Sewell? hope for that pronunciation. Sewell? It's Sewell. It's Rufus Sewell. Sewell. Um, and he was one of the actors in Man in the High Castle. He was also the bad guy in A Night's nice Tale. He was not good in this, yeah. but he was very good in Man in the High Castle. Yeah. <laughs> so he seems to have lost memory in some kind of bizarre thing where this guy, he's in a bathtub and a guy with syringes over top of him. Syringe breaks, he escapes and goes out of the city and he's trying to figure out what's going on with his life and discovers this murder case is happening. A, a detective who's following this murder as part of the story and a mysterious woman. Well, I mean, we'll get to think, but by like a quarter of the way through, we find out that they may have been... <laughs> married so that is uh how the the movie begins but what we actually get into is a sort of surreal metaphysical sci-fi journey into i'm not even sure how to explain it just one of the most bizarre movies of the late 90s yeah 98 yeah 98 it's worth mentioning that this movie predates the matrix and some of its sets were actually sold off to the production of the matrix which is wild. Everyone's stealing my fun facts. It's 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 unfortunate that this movie has such a, a very clear visual image that is so similar because the Matrix came later and did it all better. <laughs> but um mm. you can see the you can see the the genes of the you can see the DNA of the Matrix throughout this whole movie. And it's really um it I it just, feels like um, ninety eight. Because Joseph brought up the similarities between this and like Tim Burton's Batman and they are there very much so. Um, Mm -hmm. But I was, you know, reading the IMDb as one does when they watch a movie. And one of the trivia facts on there was that the director 
very much didn't want this movie to have a Tim Burton vibe. <laughs> oh, um, God. It's because impossible he, to Because separate. he didn't... He didn't want... He's like, I want my movie to be grounded in reality, and like Tim Burton can't do that. And I'm like, baby, I agree. Yeah. But you there isn't a world in which this is grounded in any kind of reality. What the mm-hmm. fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's insane. It's a, Just nuts. So this was my pick, and I chose it because I think it's a lot of cool things. I think it does a lot of things that I hadn't seen in movies before, uh, back then, and actually now too. Uh, and I liked it a lot back then because all of its allusions to like deeper meanings, like you know, like it's it's trying to make a commentary about the human condition and about the soul and about identity and all that shit is done horribly. But the stuff that's done really cool is that it's just like it commits to a lot of weird ideas and it treats them as if they're not weird. It hits the ground running and immediately you're off. You're, you're you know you're you're kind of off pace and the whole movie you spend kind of catching up and you don't. Um, I, I feel catch up by the end. Uh, I don't think the director really knew where it needed to be uh, to answer all the questions he posed. But I think given its age and what it tries to do, I think it's an interesting little kind of peek behind the curtain. Because it's clear that so many movies uh, of this time of that time period were influenced by this. Yeah. Uh, for better mm-hmm. and worse. Conceptually, I think it's really, really cool. The problem is, like, yes, it was 98, and you can hearken, like, a lot of the, like, kind of shitty aesthetics to that, but, like, there are movies that came out before at the same time and immediately after that have significantly better effects and aesthetics, and this doesn't necessarily feel like a stylistic choice. It more so feels like a director that's very, very comfortable doing short films and music videos, which is a large portion of his, of his, um filmography is Mm -hmm. short films and music videos and has really big ideas but isn't necessarily a director that's ever been given like a big budget in a long format before yeah you can feel a lot of his inexperience through it he's got really great big ideas he just like doesn't totally grasp what directing a movie like this entails i feel like it, it, it feels like there's a lot of, yeah, it feels like on the one hand, there's a lot of bones of a plot structure that's like workable. It's fine. And then on the other hand, there's big ideas that are interesting. But I for me personally, I feel like I've seen better. And it's like, it's a lot of them between. Whereas we're talking about cinematography, when we're talking about character building, right? It just doesn't quite settle. It doesn't quite fit together. No. Like movies that, like, I think this is very close to, it has a kind of, on the one hand, Truman Show feeling. On the other hand, The Matrix feeling. And on the other hand, Requiem for a Dream. It carries a lot of like parallels too. But all those movies are really top level in their in their exact category. Like in the mm-hmm. exact direction they go with this type of you're in a weird wrapped up world um, idea. Mm-hmm. They really accelerate or they really feel like the one of the most memorable of that of their um, feeling. Like Truman Show being the more comedy version of it. The Matrix being like, you know, the action and the the true conceptual one. This, I guess, should be like the noir dark version. And, you know, I have a problem with Baby Driver. I have a problem with those things. And so it's like, I'm just never going to love this kind of world. No, but I would almost say like Johnny Mnemonic would be the better noir version of this Mm. movie. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. So I'm sure you're right. Also with Keanu Reeves. (laughs) (laughs) 
But like it it does have the same kind of like 1950s, 60s-esque kind of neo-noir aesthetic that this is like very much leading into. Yeah. I think even though Johnny Mnemonic also isn't like a great movie, I do think it it does that kind of aesthetic better. Same kind of weird blue color grading though that this movie does. It was very popular. Blue and green color gradings in the 90s and early 2000s. Yeah. Very popular. Almost every movie. Any movie that had like even the slightest darkness to it. It's like the butterfly effect, Requiem for a Dream, The Matrix, Dark City, Johnny Mnemonic, Gattaca, Gothica. All of them have this weird blue color grading. Mm-hmm. Probably um, The Crow too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the crow almost goes in a direction that's like you've never seen the crow. I like I've seen it on like Space Channel or whatever. Bringing back old reference. Let's go back Uh, to Space Channel. I don't like. I remember that movie having no plot whatsoever. It's just it's just the crow being the crow, and I'm like, okay. It absolutely has a plot. It just happens to be almost the exact same plot as uh, Spawn. Mm. Yep. Yeah, it's just Spawn. Movie movie wise, like the crow is significantly better. They're both comic book movies um but the crow is significantly better than spawn movie wise really the animated like spawn. spawn movie is oh my god it's so the live action spawn fucking blows man it's not a good movie it's memorable the animated it is memorable the crow is a better movie but the animated spawn movies are better than the crow the animated yeah. spawn movies are fucking rad They're yeah they, so they good. slap really hard oh my god they had no business going as hard as they did <laughs> it's like the animated batman movies like what right do you have to be this good? Mm-hmm. Insane. And they're li- the DC live action movies are just like fucking bottom of the barrel trash. But <laughs> the animated Batman films, straight fire. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. No argument. But okay, so another weird fun fact. Kiefer Sutherland's character, uh, the doctor, his name is Daniel Sh- uh, like Schraber, I think mm. is the character's name. But there is an actual doctor named or there was an actual doctor yeah, named Dr. Daniel Schraber, Schraber yeah. who was institutionalized because he had schizophrenia and wrote like a memoir manifesto type thing as like and like a diary sort of situation as part of his as evidence on why he should be released from the institution and that memoir was the basis of like the like a lot of the theories by Freud and Jung shortly yeah. thereafter but it was also the major influence for the entire plot of this movie including oh, wow. the strangers like pretty no much way. came directly from that memoir that's wild and i love that and actually i'm pretty sure it's i, I the name's too similar to not be it but it's like bringing something you know i don't often bring up directly but it is something i studied in philosophy that there's philosopher deleuze who wrote these this famous sort of book in philosophy called um it's called, it's called a bunch of different things, but one part of it is called Capitalism and Schizophrenia. And one of these ideas is he's actually, it, the, it, one volume of this book is called Anti-Oedipus, against, basically saying against Freud. And he's trying to point out this way in which Freud took Dr. Schreber or this like schizophrenic view or this stuff. And uh, he's, he's trying to say that actually human beings are m- much less the rigor that Freud thinks they are, where we have these collective... Uh, Young said collective unconscious, but like that we have this, uh, these same complex, everyone has these same complexes, Oedipus complex and um, certain unconscious drives, the death drive and stuff like this. And he said, well, actually, it's a much more that we're kind of just weird 
broken machines that are kind of barely functioning. And this movie actually, I, I kind of get, I kind of get the connection. The what makes us us, right? If we can swap our memories constantly, it's one of the things in this movie is everyone's memories are being swapped constantly. Do you stay the same person at all, or what? In what way are you still the same individual? Mm-hmm. And the thing they say directly in the movie is um, the main character spoil something but it's like is implanted with the memories of a serial killer so would he inevitably follow the path of a serial killer because he has those memories or would something of his his uh, other parts of his being stop him from doing that i think the movie did a really bad job of actually saying whether he (laughs) did follow that or not because it just ended up he had so much shit going on that uh, i don't think any kind of conclusion can be made you know it's like a few different things interfering the experiment but uh but the movie tried to say at the end that no, he chose differently. Yeah, like, it's a movie that tries a lot of things, uh, and it's trying to get to like a like a core of some kind of philosophical quandary. It doesn't get there, I don't think. But it no. but at least at least it makes some some interesting attempts. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Feels gestural. Yeah, exactly. It feels like it's. It feels like there is ideas here. It's just wild to me, like how little they're able to like. settle in or feel to feel like you're gaining any kind of understanding from the movie Mm -hmm. like if you compare to something like the matrix i think some of at least the the core ideas of the matrix are so obvious to anyone that watches them like it feels pretty direct about a lot of although i don't know matrix has been appropriated in so many bad ways too so i don't know maybe you know everyone nowadays thinks you know the red pill means hating women so i don't know how that happened. Uh-huh. A but, movie um, made by two trans women definitely <laughs> definitely programmed that into the into the coding. Look, I mean, half the movies that like those super weird alpha male style bros say are like the best movies in the world are like very much about the gay experience. That's true. So, you know, like Fight Club, Tyler Durden is the manliest man. It's like definitely an allegory for closeted homosexuality but sure yeah i love the energy fight club's about being a man uh except when you make me analyze it and then it's something else (laughs) we we had a whole like half an episode where we talked about this but i am i still find it fascinating like why is it that except for wolf on wall street that seems to be only like exception to this rule but so many of the major ones have gay stuff. even like pulp fiction has like a whole gay stuff going on it's just like, yeah. what is it about repressed gayness or the confrontation with homosexuality that, like, becomes the favorite movies of so many, like, super straights, you know? It's because like, a lot of men don't understand that the things that they, like, find really interesting, the manly man that they want to be, are, like, made for the male gaze and not for the female gaze. Like, they're looking at these, like, superhero, hyper-masculine type dudes as, like, the top of the food chain, the one all the women want to get with and like the powerhouses of the conference room. And it's like, nah, dude, those are like male power fantasies. And yeah. most of these stories have like pretty homoerotic undertones. I was reading a lot about and, like, that they just recently. Don't get, yeah, like a lot of straight men do not understand that like, like they understand unconsciously that the majority of content that they consume is like created 
for the appeal of men, but they don't understand that like the sexualization of men in movies is for men. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I was reading about. It was like I was talking to someone about this and they were they were not understanding that like, well, it's fine if you sexualize women in video games because men get sexualized to look at their giant hulking muscles. And I'm like, it's like that's not for women. Who are they being sexualized for? Because there's yeah. a, there's a decent chance that if that if that's the representation, it's probably not like some woman who's just like fuck yeah, men gotta be swole like that. It's like just maybe, just maybe. It's the same reason why like if you ask almost any straight man who the hottest man in like Hollywood is right now, they're gonna tell you Ryan Reynolds because they think like they want to be that guy. They think he's the pinnacle of like masculinity because he gets to be like the boyish charm and like super immature, but he's also like muscular and hyper manly. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, every woman wants to get with Ryan Reynolds and any woman you ask is like, yeah, I mean, he's fine. <laughs> yeah, he's like a charming asshole. It's like, but like, oh, but he plays he's Deadpool. not for me. <laughs> it's the same shit it's like they're not understanding that like all of these things that they're attracted to whether it's sexually or just like they want to be that person like what they're attracted to is the sexualization of a man for other men and like mm. it's like, just like completely going over their heads i like mma for the for the skills um yeah. <laughs> I just like to watch men rolling around on mats with other men because it's like that's what manliness is. It's yeah, it's normal. That's a line, uh, a very badly paraphrased line from uh, the Breakfast Club. Mm. Oh, <laughs> Andrew is a uh, captain of the wrestling team, and Bender is making fun of him. Yeah, I'm so jealous. That's a movie I've I just want to roll around on the mat with another. Like it's so funny. I mean, problematic because it's John Hughes and it's from 1980. Five-ish. Mm. So very problematic, but God, I love that movie. Although if you go back and you watch it, John Bender absolutely looks like a 35-year-old man and <laughs> uh, Molly Ringwald playing Claire as his love interest very much looks like a 17-year-old girl because I'm pretty sure she is 17. So that's awkward, mm. but very fun movie. I actually haven't seen that one, which is, uh, feel free to rip me open over that one. I, I have not seen The Breakfast Club. Uh, but I have seen Dark City. Yeah. Uh, so that says something a lot. That says a lot about me. <laughs> uh, I have seen the graphic stuff, but yeah, it's it's not a movie that left like a massive impression on me. So I only I only have like some recollection of it. Mm-hmm. I will say the Breakfast Club. Like, look, this is a huge tangent, and it's so stupid that I'm bringing this up right now. But like, the Breakfast Club is valuable to watch solely if you enjoy or have any kind of beloved ensemble cast teen movie from your childhood or teen television show because it like breakfast club was incredibly informative for those types of Mm -hmm. films in the same way that heathers walked so that things like jennifer's body and mean girls could run Mm -hmm. you know so if you if you want sort of like a historical context for why that media is like interesting or potentially like influential it's a good movie to watch it's not like the best thing ever made but you can see a lot of influence there. There's even a ton of movie posters that are like basically just the actual Breakfast Club movie poster with like the characters replaced. I think <laughs> Doom Patrol did that. Very cool. I didn't know that. It's a stupid, very annoying bullshit thing to bring up while we're talking about a completely different well, movie. But It's all self-referential. I like eh? 80s film and it's very <laughs> informative to the things that we watch today. Everything is I- cyclical. I think the thing I take away from this movie every time I see it is that I 
don't think I've seen anything like it before. And I'm not certain if you look backwards or forwards that there's anything that really like does what it does. Like like aside from the clear like stylistic or like tonal notes, but like it really doesn't it doesn't feel influenced by a lot of other media around the time. I I feel I like I see what you're saying. I almost feel like I almost feel like it's too much of an amalgam of like like there is some core to it. Yeah, that's what yeah, I'm saying. Like what yeah. you're connected to is like there's some core to it about the weirdness of the metaphysical like kind of like what this alien world that's too being tuned but it's it's very bizarre and it's very like there's something going on here yeah like at the same time though each element of the movie feels like a mishmash of other things Um, and i think that's partly because it's doesn't cohere well enough for me not to see it as just like an amalgam of random parts instead of like um, like, what, for example, in the neo-noir aspects, I really, I always dislike that, or like, I'm, I've, so many movies are like this taxi driver and like, generic main character man goes through a, a, a internal journey of some kind. And then the ending is always something like, I want my girl like to be like, I'm, I'm doomed. My life is shit. Like, everything is too, too dark, too, too depressing. So nostalgia and going back to like, my childhood is will make me happy and protecting the girl I love or like giving her a good life. Not even necessarily being with them. Often it's not being with them. It's some kind of like yeah. giving them a good life. Yeah. Protect and them I from just me. find that kind of precious ending for like alpha men ish. It's not even alpha, but like this kind of Sigma male, almost man. Shrigma. Stop. I don't even know what to call, but these like these men who think they're something, but they're, you know, they're like, not necessarily alpha, not necessarily like top of the world. They're just kind of like I but they're not every man either. They're they're in this kind the of omega. like they're an outsider man. Hmm. So the omega? Well the the sigma is why it's sigma. Shrigma. The, the, yeah, I I guess more so what I mean yeah, is that like I mean, actually Keanu, Keanu Reeves is often used as the example of a sigma <laughs> male, which is hilarious because then he's in Oh, that's unfortunate. Poor guy. Sigma male means trans. Also, like, wasn't Keanu Reeves was in like a pretty like long term relationship, and then his girlfriend like died pretty tragically, and that's the only reason he's been single for a while. So like, that's kind of not a cool example. Like, I'm pretty sure his girlfriend died in like a pretty like horrific car crash or something. So it's kind of like fucked up. Fuck. Example of what? I'm not sure. Of like a sigma male. Like, it just seems fucked up to use him as an example of, like, anything in that context when the only reason he's, like, been single for a significant Sigma male isn't about being single. So it's, what's it's it about? A, I thought it was about being, like, an outsider and being, like, separated well, and, it's, like... It's a, it means... Okay, it kind of means going your own way. Like, men who have their own path. Or take, it's like alpha males lead a pack. They're people who are strong and, and lead or... You know, I... Obviously, all this stuff is bullshit. I'm just saying what they, what I understand of what they're saying. So alpha males are like leaders of the pack. They're they're the ones who like all the betas and blah blah blahs look up to them and say, oh, they're the best. I want to be like them. Sigma males are like, I'm just not playing the game. Like I'm doing my own thing. But they can have relationships, and that's what I'm saying here. Like yeah, like he like this main character is like doing his own thing. And they're I mean honestly, one of the things is just like muscularity. Alpha males are super muscular and buff. Sigma males are are hot and interesting or whatever without necessarily being buff <laughs> is like one of the ways that they're like as an outside like looking in that is often what you're most often seeing. Welcome it's to like 
Sigma Male Talk. Yeah. Uh, we are your hosts. I hate, I hate this place. Yeah. <laughs> I leave. Unfortunately, it's, it, there's enough of it online that I've seen enough that, that I use it as an actual example of like looking at a guy. But, but, but it is what I don't like about this. It, this guy feels like a stereotype or John, what's it's, John Murdoch feels like it's such giving, a bleh. Character. It's giving Humphrey Bogart Casablanca. You know? Oh it's, no! It's I like Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca. Don't say that. Uh, Casablanca has the same kind of like energy, though. Classic Sigma male. It has, it has male. a very similar <laughs> type. Of, yeah, classic Sigma male ending. <laughs> I mean, that um, is true, but I like it in that case. I, I think the point I was trying to get at is that I think few movies are as it's not as depressing, bold about where they're stealing from, and also so clumsy with the execution. Uh, like it's like it's almost cute like it's commendable what it does even though it doesn't succeed like the acting choices are all whack with maybe the exception of John Jennifer Connelly who is like severely underused yeah the yeah. like the the mixture of practical she's also like the only woman in this entire movie yeah the only else yeah. Knows that. Uh, and she's barely a character. It's another trope of these like neo noiry type things like um, Taxi Driver I'm pretty sure there's like one one woman at all in the entire movie except for like i don't even want to say but like except for like people he sees on the street so That's wait who's the is it just like 12 year old jodie foster i don't remember who the the main one he talks to the main actress he talks to in it the only woman i can remember in taxi i think it's taxi driver is 12 year old jodie foster playing a sex worker yeah she was 12 the only, the only one he like falls in love with or like interacts with a sex worker but he also I'm just, yeah, just say, he also like he also sees sex workers around and so and mentions them yeah. and says stupid. But things again, the movie twelve. Yeah, I, I I have no that movie is just. She was actually twelve. I don't know. In that movie, she's playing a child sex worker. It's very Leon the Professional, where it's like a weird pseudo sexual, but also father daughter relationship. Mm-hmm in real time with an actual child actress. Very strange that that happened in two movies around this, like, not not even, like, 15, 20 years apart. Nuts. Absolutely wild. It was actually my problem with, this is a weird tangent, but it's, like, it it's clarified something in my mind that, like, one of my problems with Blade Runner 2049 is, like, I didn't like that one nearly as much as the original. And the original, both of them have noir tropes. Like, it's about a you know, beat down detective doing stuff. But in 24-9, it is so, he's so stoic and he's so like, doesn't talk to anyone. He isn't very charming. Like, it's just like, the attitude feels even more on that like line where you can't avoid feeling like you're in that world. Whereas I found Harrison Ford's original Blade Runner, Decker, Decker Kane is from Diablo. Decker, what, what is his name? Death, you gotta help me out here. You're right, Deckard Kane is from Diablo. <laughs> yeah, thank uh, you. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think it's, I, I just remember him being called Deckard. Yeah. Maybe it's like, maybe that's his last name. I think it's like something like John Deckard or something. But yeah, anyways. do not matter. He's Han Solo. Yeah, he, he's more, he's more it's personal. Rick Deckard. Rick Deckard, yeah. I never would have remembered that. Rick Deckard. I knew it was some like generic guy name um, from that era. This uh, is why I have I, the IMDb like app on my phone. Like, is it that Dick? thing, your Roderick Cube. Well, yes. <laughs> um, what a fun reference that we ended up accidentally stumbling upon. 2049, 
has this, and that's why it's it's a good movie. Don't get me wrong, that one's actually a great movie. But I just that worldview of like this super stoic male, and in that case, he has like an AI wife, and I'm like, oh my god. And yet, you Not liked her. In, in I did in... like her, but that's actually because it's 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 joking, uh, joking. Oh my god, Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix. You were a mess today. Uh, I, just, I was visualizing the name instead of uh, remembering how it said. <laughs> it's Joe Phoenix. But I didn't love him. And I think he acted it well, but I didn't actually love his character. It's actually that this this is a reversal of the trope in the way. Scar Johansson's character is actually like a really cool, interesting character in herself. And oh, that's yeah, no. what's rarely and, done in these And in these Joaquin Phoenix's character is like, it, I wouldn't describe him as actually stoic. I would no, say he's, he's like, like yeah, very different kind of person, but super depressed in the same and like yeah. emotionally immature. In, in the yeah. defense of Ryan Gosling's character, he was tr- thinking he was a replicant the whole time. Like he was acting as if, you know, yeah. And he is a replicant, but like he's stoic because he's a robot. No, I mean, sure. But I'm just saying it's like the people who like that kind of character. Oh, I'm, yeah. It, you yeah. know, it, it evinces just, some kind of get, um, loner it like people wolf would trope. like this other stuff. I prefer an ex machina, you know, like must protect the soft, sweet girl AI. So gentle. I'm manly man. And then she just murders the fuck out of you and traps you in a room. I love uh, Oscar Isaac's girl power. Oscar Isaac. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's I also love Donald Gleason in that movie. Can we not sleep on Donald Gleason? (sighs) I want to love him in the movie. I don't. Do you not love him because he's kind of like a gross character? Or do you not love him know. because you don't like the actor? I guess I guess the truth of the matter is I, Oscar Isaac, in the conversations they have together, he gets to have all the cool lines and say all the cool stuff. Yeah. And Don Gleason's just there being like, what? No. <laughs> no. Is he like, supposed to be like I know, I know, I understand his guy. character. But I'm just like, ugh. Like, I don't need regular people. Let's have two super intellectuals just talk to each other as a whole movie. That's all I want. God, I, I just they're really shoving Oscar Isaac into anything they can now. And I am starting to get know, a but little he's, tired he's, of him. He's remained amazing in every role he's in. Yeah. But oh, yes, he's I agree a with phenomenal you. actor. He's he really is a phenomenally talented actor and he is smoking hot. But mm-hmm. he's playing very similar characters in yes. everything they're shoving him into. And I'm getting kind of, it, it just feels like he has like very little range at this point. He's just yeah. I think guy it's part of the reason in I'm, every um, sci-fi movie. <laughs> I think I'm a little hesitant. I, I do think I'll like it. I'm, and I'm hesitant to start The Last Duel because uh, Adam Driver fatigue. I feel like one of the reasons I want mm-hmm. to watch is because of Adam Driver. But I'm also like, I've seen like 14 things with Adam Driver now. Like, it's just, it's it's a bit much. Who is it that did Last Duel? It's, um, it's the same guy who did House of Gucci, right? Mm. No, it's Ripley Scott, and he said, uh, "Millennials." Ridley. Ridley. Oh my God, the name. (laughs) Not even. It's a Metroid character. Yeah. Why did I think House of Gucci was also was the same person as Last Duel? Because it has Adam Driver in it. I don't know. (laughs) Everything has Adam Driver. Hey, there it it is. Yeah. Okay. Whoever did the Last Duel. Ridley did Scott. two movies this year and is pissed that yeah the last duel was Scott. didn't do well. That's Ridley Scott. Well, no, no, last duel didn't do well, and they said they were very upset about it, and and they said it was because of the millennials, like on their phones or whatever. And it's just like he it's did just do a bizarre... House of Gucci. I'm not 
crazy. He did both movies. Ridley Scott did House of Gucci? Yes. And House of Gucci did amazingly well. And he's all pissed that The Last Duel didn't do well. Because it looks like shit. It does. It's so okay. It might be great. And I've heard actually. I've heard really good things. I've heard it's better than House of Gucci. I don't trust it. But the marketing for The Last Duel was fucking atrocious. I agree. Anything I saw of it, I'm like, this looks so just dismal. I don't know. Like it also just looked the casting is bizarre. Mm. Matt Damon in that like it just it looked like it should have been a comedy. It was like the trailers they were releasing, it looked like it was like a weird. It looked like it could have gone into satire, yeah. Yeah. Very bad marketing. Yeah. But apparently it's phenomenal, and House of Gucci is apparently fucking awful. Oh really? I heard it was like yeah. I heard House of Gucci was just like fine. I but. I haven't heard great things. I've heard good things from like well good-ish things. I like how like we're a movie review podcast critics. and we're just like we haven't watched any of this stuff. Yeah. Let's just speculate. Um, I've heard I've heard okay things from critics, <sighs> um like su- like high end professional critics, and I've heard House of Gucci is fucking atrocious from Oof. any critic around our age. Great. I do want to watch it, though. I don't know. I do, too. Apparently, the accents are, like, fucking wild. Like, just no one sounds Italian. Jeremy Irons is supposed to be playing, like, the most Italian Italian person in that movie. He's, like, old world Italy. And he's doing a he's just doing his regular British accent, which is (laughs) fucking nuts. Good for him. Uh, Lady Gaga, who is Italian, is doing what uh, apparently sounds Russian. Okay. And Jared Leto is just like fucking uh, out of pocket. I've actually seen comparisons of the character that Lady Gaga's playing and her and, and she matches it exactly. It's just that the character she's playing does have a weird accent. It's not like a typical I, Italian accent. Every Italian movie critic that I've read is like, this is a fucking awful accent and they sound nothing alike. Really? Like, I For think Lady it's Gaga's just character? to like. Wow. Yeah. I think it's I just I couldn't tell North the difference Americans. when I saw the side by side comparison. I think it's just North Americans. We can't hear the difference. And like every European is just, this is fucking ludicrous sounding. She sounds insane. I still want to see it though. All right. I'll do the uh, wrap up thing here. So you can find us on Twitter at FansLabPod and on most other social media besides Facebook. You'll just have to look us up because we have different names for each of them. And yeah. We loved having you and we'd love to hear from you about which movies you'd like to for us to see or just anything you'd want to engage with us on on any social media. Thanks for listening. Bye.